Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, we've been moving this week, and I'm kind of tired. But my thoughts went to the worship team of just being able to sing that song and pray. Uh, encourage these guys. Think of Mr. Johns in the back and those guys running sound. Uh, thank them after the service. They, they get up here on Sunday mornings early, and they're tired just like you, but they, uh, they get up earlier than you, most of them. So just thank them. Uh, we're normal people and have kids and jobs, and so just, uh, I'm just thankful. Uh, praying in that room up there this morning was awesome. I am thankful, too. We moved, and y'all helped so much. I didn't even have to ask all of you. I actually had to turn some people away because we had lots of help, so thank you for helping us get into the new house. We had Diana and Brenda that were powerhouse cleaning the new house. Uh, the Hamburgers have hosted us for six months. That's crazy. Uh, that's a lot of grace. If you've ever lived with anyone for six months, then you know what that takes. So thank you guys. Uh, I've been ministered to this week, even in the midst of a crazy week. So before we get started, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to just really do what that song said, to open our eyes to what he's doing and to calm our hearts. God, I thank you for this week. I thank you that in the midst of craziness or quiet through kids or work, through allergies or sickness, God, you are good. And so I just, I pray during this season of Lent, this time to fast, this time to look at your word, that we would be laid low, that we would understand our position before you, that Jesus went out to the wilderness not to have an enlightenment moment, but to be ministered to. And through that process, God, it was hard. Satan trying to get at him. And so I just pray that you would minister to us as we go through these seasons of life, hardship, or easy times. We praise you for being good to us. We love you. We trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, last week we closed out Jonah, and so I've had this question, what are we going to do now? Um, so we're leading up to Easter. We're going to do kind of Lent, uh, walking through some scriptures that are surrounded about Christ and his resurrection, him raising from the dead. So this week we're going to walk through, which is the fifth week of Lent, nothing super fancy or special about that, but where my mind went to or what I was encouraged to do, even from Patrick, to look at some of these texts that centered around walking up to Easter, and this week, if you look at the lectionary, which is a fancy word for the yearly calendar that the global church will walk through, they put scripture from Old and New Testament, that it's this annual reminder of what, who God is, what his word says, Old Testament, New Testament, all the books, and so it's this annual repetition of God's word. And so it fell on some texts that I want to lead us to as we walk into this Easter story. And so the first one, if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 43, we'll also put it up on the screen, but Isaiah 43, which is cool because the church around the globe is also studying these texts, so many churches this morning that will be reading this same thing. So Isaiah 43, I'm going to focus on verses 16 through 21, and it says this, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. 
Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. And so if we look at this text, and we'll walk into a New Testament text as well, he's making this way. He's choosing these people for his own possession. He's taking wild beasts and jackals and stinky birds that roam the desert, right? And he's giving them new life. He says, I'm giving them a drink, which means I'm giving them space or residence in my kingdom. And so they can now enjoy what was not enjoyable. They can have peace where there was no peace. And then the lectionary takes us to Philippians 3. So I'm going to have you jump over there really quick. And we're going to hone in on just a few verses here. And verse 4 says, Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So if I just take that verse very quickly out of context, it kind of sounds like Paul just says, I'm better than you, right? But if we keep reading, he gives us a resume of what he's saying, but that's what he does. So on this verse, he says, essentially, it sounds like, I'm better than you, and then he lists all the reasons why he's better than you. So he doesn't just say, I'm better than you. He says, let me prove it to you, and he tells us why. But that's out of context. So if you go back and read the first verses before this and the verses after it, we'll go and read verses 7, if you'll follow me there. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then if you'll continue to follow me down to verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so if we pair these texts together, there's a lot of the same talk of, of looking forward, not back, and what the Lord has is, is done. And so it's a continuation story, and that's the whole point of why we, do, we read through Scripture. We want to see the fullness of God's Word, which declares this gospel story, this story of Easter that is so amazing for us, that he can take a group of jackals who make really poor decisions, these ugly animals, and he can clean them up. And not just clean them up to make them look good, but to enjoy community, where once they ran from him, but now they can partake in the goodness of the love of God. And if we look at the life of Paul, we've, we've walked through a few of his books already together. He's the ideal candidate for God's mercy and love. If you think of what's the one guy that has been radical for God, it's him, right? It, from, from, a, from a church religious standpoint, if you looked at Paul, before the Lord got to him, he was nailing it as far as the church could see. But then we get to this scripture, and he doesn't boast in his credentials. He actually lays himself low. It's a self, not promotion, but a self-demotion. 
And so he doesn't point to his family or the lineage, but if you read in this text, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. So I'm not looking at that anymore. This isn't the foundation I have, but I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so his, his one thing, his goal, his aim wasn't fixing people, right? And we could go through that list of things that we try to do. It wasn't trying to make sure that at the end of his life, mom and dad were happy with him, right? It wasn't about showing up and having perfect attendance on Sunday morning or being at every event that Christ Church hosts or every PTA meeting or making sure that your kids are good with you even when, you're, when they're grown and out of your house. That wasn't what he's saying. I'm not trying to put equity in a home. I'm not trying to grow my Roth, right? He doesn't even look back and say, look at my resume and all that I have done in the name of the Lord. He actually says, it's, it's trash. It's rubbish. And so he uses the word straining, which I saw that after reading this several times. I didn't notice it at first. But it's not this passive thing that he's doing. He's, he's straining. He's, he's struggling through these times, and he's pressing on, not comfortably, but forcefully ahead. And it says this upward call. So he's, he's, he's low, and we're moving towards the Lord. We're moving up. And so from this lowly position, Paul's upward strategy hinged on this lifestyle that he says often, stay alert, keep awake. It's a lot of what the New Testament says. And so his strategy was really simple. He didn't have this detailed plan, but he had holding fast to God's word and enduring to the end. We hear that all the way through the New Testament and so that's a stark contrast. If you actually go and read the rest of Philippians chapter 3, it's a stark contrast to the rest of the world. He actually uses people in the world to say, they look like this, don't go there. You know how that ends. And doing that, submitting to a God, humbling ourselves, takes a lot of restraint. It doesn't look awesome. It doesn't elevate us. It's not fun often to endure mundane and the hardships of life. It takes a lot of Jesus, which we've learned together. I've watched y'all do that, and y'all have watched me do that as we struggle through just our pride. So it takes all of us. And so as we get closer to Easter, that's where I want us to look at. I want us to be asking some of these questions around the person of Jesus to say, why did he go through all of that? Why did it have to go this way, or why did God set it up this way? Why does God put so much attention on sustaining the people of Israel, right? They're jackals. They're jokers. They're crazy. Why is unity in the church such a big deal? Do you even see that as a possibility? Which I think is a lot of our stories in the church. We walk in here. I've talked about it this week several times with a few of you. You kind of walk into scenarios like we don't really know how to walk into to crowds because we've been burned or we've been hurt, maybe by our own families, maybe by past church churches. And so I don't know that we even believe it's possible. And so where my mind went as I read those Lent or Easter texts for our weekend, this weekend, my mind went to Psalm 133. And that's where I want to spend a majority of our time today, talking about the mercy and the grace that we have in this community that the Lord has given to us. And so if you will turn there with me, it's three verses, and it starts like this. 
Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so if you camp out anywhere for Easter or this week, maybe meditate here. I would encourage you to go do some of the backstory on why he wrote this. What was going on in the nation of Israel during this time? It's, it's three verses. And on the first pass, when you read it, it looks like he kind of wrote a poetic encouragement, right? Hey, brothers, let's do this together. Let's get along. But on second pass and third pass, and as we continue to study this and you dig a little bit deeper into what is going on in the nation of Israel and what the backstory is with King David, for centuries they were unable to do this. And so this was a a plea. This was a prayer. This was him realizing what the Lord was doing and really what God's heart was for his people. And if we look back at the history under the reign of these judges over Israel, before King Saul and King David and King Solomon ever came into the picture, the whole intention was for God to be their God. He didn't want them to have a king. He was their king, right? He didn't want them to have judges. He was their judge. But Israel, if we know that story, and we do, they keep looking around at these other nations, and they seem powerful and terrifying. And in this moment, the Philistines were kind of that enemy for David. And it started. That's how it started for him, if you remember that. He's fighting Goliath, the Philistine. And so they see this chaos ensuing around them, and then they look back at their own camp, and they're terrified and seem kind of weak. And so they come up with this great plan, going against what the Lord had intended for them, and they appoint a king. And that first king was Saul. Do you all remember how that goes? It was bad. It was a train wreck. He looked good from the start as our plans often do, and then it wrecked terribly. And so the guy that ends up picking up the pieces is our writer here in Psalm 133. And his life, you could almost say, is equally a train wreck. I mean, starting off, it's hard, it's terrible. There's moments of clarity and then moments of disappointment. And this is David's life going back and forth. And that's the tragedy of the Old Testament is that these people lustfully chasing after all these other things, all these other gods, all these other ways besides what the Lord is giving to them. And so King Saul is ousted because he disobeys the Lord. King David comes in, and he actually grows. God's spirit is walking with him. David humbles himself. He doesn't look like Saul who gets puffed up and wants a name for himself, but David realizes through mess-ups, terrible scenarios that he royally fails. As with everyone looking at him in the kingdom, he royally fails, and he learns how to trust the Lord. He actually falls in love with the Lord. He understands that the provision under God is beautiful, and he wants his kingdom to taste that. And so if you go and read the psalm before this, Psalm 132, it talks about the beauty of God saying, these are my people, and this is where I'm going to set up, in the hills of Zion, right here in Jerusalem, and I'm going to make them my people Watch what I do. And David writes of that in Psalm 132, if you want to go and read that. And he writes this, and I think it resonates with us, because he writes of this place of security. 
It's often what we're looking for. Maybe what we missed in our childhood, or maybe in adulthood we've lost what, we, what we're looking for. We were maybe, I, my thought always goes, when I said that, my thought goes to Bono. And when that song comes on, I always make the joke like, man, Bono still hasn't found what he's looking for. But that's often our heart. Like we're longing for this thing and we don't know what it is. And so David says, this is it. And he arrives at Psalm 133. And so in a sense, we read Isaiah 43. David answers the question that Isaiah says. That, that phrase from Isaiah 43, he says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites, the same people that David was king over. But the weird thing is, David lived before Isaiah. So the, the question and answer is kind of backwards, but it's almost like they're having this conversation. If you read the fullness of Scripture, it's that. It's overlapping, them constantly reflecting on each other. And so when we look at that, he answers that question. Isaiah says, behold, look, pay attention. Do you not see this new thing that the Lord is doing? Can you not perceive it? And then David's phrase in our text today, Psalm 133, he says, behold, almost to say, yes, I see it. Do you see it? How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And so that's the new thing. That's the thing that Isaiah was saying that God is making new in the desert, making streams or rivers, providing for a people that did not deserve it. And so as we look towards Easter, that's a beauty in this Easter story. It's this unfathomable thing happening that we're finding a home, security, rest, a people that is ours, that God has made a place for us to rest and find peace. And that's a big deal for the nation of Israel that was always in unrest, always wondering what was next. When are you going to come, Lord? What is going to have to happen here? But he provides a space for the people to dwell with their God. And so David, being humbled through that process, going through the trials that he did, he, he wants to honor the Lord through the position as leading God's people as king. And so he says, behold, look, everything for decades and centuries that we have gone through and our fathers have longed for it's here, Psalm 133. And he turns to Mount Hermon in that text. If you look back in the way that he describes that, he gives a, a word picture. It's very Jesus-like. Jesus would be walking or sitting by the coast, or he would say, look to the birds, look to the seas, and he teaches them. And David does that here. So he, he looks out to the mountain, and he says, do you see Mount Hermon? This is the place where our water comes from, right? This is the source of our vegetation and the way that life happens in this area. And so he points there and he looks to the landscape. And this wasn't something that they could, you know, they're not sitting in a building. He's pointing to something that they could look out and see and understand. They lived it. They, under, they had walked those countrysides and those mountainsides so they understand what he's talking about. And it's not Texas hills, right? We're not talking about, you know, West Texas. We're talking about Colorado status. We're talking about 9,200 feet above sea level scenarios where they're looking out on this mountain, which is actually three mountains together with little mountains in between, and they're all about the same size. It's huge, and it cuts the border of Syria and Lebanon, 
And so it's so high up in the air for this area that these storms are rolling through or clouds will roll through and they just smack right into the side of those mountains. And what that does is that moisture or that precipitation just drops on the mountainside. And so it hits the top and it rolls down. And so this is what David's using as an analogy. As these rains and these fogs roll down, they drench those smaller towns and they give life to the villages on the, on the mountainside. And then in the winter, it freezes. And so you've got some beautiful snow resorts there, ski, ski towns. Uh, there's churches or there's temples on the side of these mountains because it's beautiful. It's, it's something that wouldn't exist without that water. If the water was there, this is one of the most driest places in the world. There would be nothing beautiful there. But it sits up so high that it's a spectacle for all to see. The UN has put a home base there because it's the tallest place in the area. Israel still to this day calls it the eyes of the nation because of how high it sticks out. And so this is what David is referencing. And then that first analogy he uses is the oil that's poured over the head of the high priest of Aaron. But this oil was never meant to stay on the head. He doesn't want to just, just camp out right there. It, it's meant to be placed on the head, and he says it flows down on the beard and then into the collar. It gets everywhere. It, it flows down the shoulders and down the arms and the legs, just like that, that rain flowing down Mount Hermon. And he references this oil, which if you look at Exodus, I'll put this up there, Exodus 30, 22 through 25. It's not like he just, you know, dumped some, you know, olive oil or pure olive oil. You know, it, this is expensive stuff. And you can read that list of what required of anointing oil there. And so we've got this expensive mix of oils and spices, myrrh, cinnamon, very potent smelling cane oil. I think it's kasha, which is another expensive Chinese tree bark that is known as, it's, it's cinnamon, essentially. And then we've got high-end oils, all blended together by a professional per perfumer. So someone that you, you don't just mix this in your kitchen, you actually have to take it and it be prepared properly. So not cheap. It's not something that you just go gather out in your yard and they dumped on the high priest. It was thought about. It was prepared for. A lot, a lot of these ingredients are used today in skin creams and herbal remedies. And so as that was flowing down Aaron's head and his beard, it would run down on everything, and it smelled. It wasn't a bad smell. It was a good smell. So you, if you were near, you smelled it. It was intoxicating. And so David draws attention to these two things, to, to not say, let's focus on the beard he doesn't say, let's just focus on the mountain, but he gives attention to the supernatural work of the Lord here. And we've talked about this before, but a phrase that David over and over uses is, how long, O Lord? I've said that in several sermons because he uses it so often. Psalm 6, 13, 79, 80, 89, 90, and 94. He asks this question, how long, O Lord, do we have to wait? And I think he asked it because that's the question of the people. They're restless. They want something else. They need more. And then David here, it's not a question for him, but he makes a statement to the people, almost to answer that question. How long, O oh Lord? He says, behold, this is it. It's here. 
the blessing and the mercies of God are found here. So taking you back to that mountain analogy, it's, it's the mountaintop. It's the rains pouring down and flowing down and covering the hillsides and the villages like a fog or a dew, like Mount Hermon. God is doing something new, Isaiah said. He says, do you see it? The thing that we've waited for. A people longing for the thing, and this is it. God uniting a people for his own glory. And so he brings peace and power and rest. Rest for our exhausted minds and bodies. And my mind went to a lot of your testimonies. I get to think about those throughout the week a lot, just because we get to talk or we'll do prayer, and I get to hear how y'all pray for your families or your extended families, moms and dads and brothers and stepbrothers and all the siblings mixed in there. But that's a weird thought to think that the new thing that the Lord is doing is bringing together a family of peace, people of peace. Imagine that if you were to describe your childhood home, would you describe it as a family of peace? For some of you, that's, you're just going to laugh. Would you describe the place that you ate as a child around the dinner table as something that was just healthy and you loved and it was awesome? For a lot of you, no. For a lot of us, yes. But that's the, the picture I got as I'm, I'm looking at this new thing that these two prophets or kings, this king and this prophet, messengers of the Lord, they're, they're struggling with and they're trying to communicate it to these people. And that's what the Lord is doing. He's making this space, this table, this common place for us to come and dine and eat. It's almost as you could say, it's like a mountaintop, the way that we're brought together. It's a beautiful thing to marvel at that we often forget. It's like a mountaintop that sticks above the landscape and the rains pour down on it and it blesses everything below it. Or you could say it's like a, a oil that drenches the body and saturates everything that it touches and soothes, soothes everything it touches. So that's the picture that David leaves us with. He, he got it. And after messing up so much, those breakdowns and those moments of failure actually lead to the grace that he experiences through the Lord. He begins to see that these mess-ups and dysfunction, that this chaos of Israel is actually able to awaken or for them to see better what the Lord was doing. And I think we're often the same. Someone sent Blair and Kelsey and me an email this week, which was just a huge blessing to say, all of these things that I feel like have been struggle for me all my life, I'm starting to see that the Lord is using that to help me understand who he is. And I don't know that I ever want them to go away. Because if this is what happens when the Lord brings things in my life like this and it leads to fuller relationship with the Lord, I don't want to leave that. That was a beautiful encouragement to me this week, just to hear what the Lord is doing, even through our mess, even through our chaos. And that's what David's getting at here, that the Lord wants and desires so badly to protect and to provide for his people. And so that's why we get that constant call in the New Testament that he says, open up your eyes. That last song that we just sang, or that first song, open up our eyes. We can't do it. Protect us through this. Let us see what you see, Lord. But we're often like the Israelites. We want bigger and better. 
And I think often we're going to do big things. I think a lot of you in here, uh, you lead businesses and you do some pretty crazy things. But most of us in here, we're kind of normal. Most of us aren't going to be the people that are leading the charge. Uh, I think of this week, a few conversations centered around fostering family. It's an organization in Houston that has really revolutionized bridging the gap between the church and the state really providing in huge ways, doing a, a miraculous work that a lot of you have got to partake in and join in with them. But for most of us, we're not going to be the leader of that organization. Uh, my, my, my thoughts also go to um, so many organizations in Houston and really in the state that help in bringing men and women out of sex trade and really changing their lives and giving some, them security in homes. But most of us aren't going to be the, the CEO of that business. Most of us aren't going to be politicians. Most of us have not arrived at professional athlete status. And I don't think we will at this point in our life. I think we've passed that. However, the Lord can do that. And I think he will use us in these parachurch organizations. He will use us to cast vision for them. He will use us to pray for them and to be involved as volunteers and minister to them as people lead. Some of you might be those people, but for most of us, and I'm not trying to crush your dreams, most of us, we're going to be moms and dads. We're going to be soccer coaches. We're going to be, I think of all the things in here, engineers. We're going to be financial advisors. We're going to be neighbors. We're going to be spending most of our time praying for the kids on our kids' soccer team. You're going to be the friend that babysits your friend's kids. And when you get older, you're going to babysit your grandkids and bless the mess out of your adult kids. You're going to be the people that mows the widow's yard. You're going to be the block or the house on the block that throws the block parties and gathers everybody around. You're going to do your own accounting. You're going to be the uh, church bus driver, which we don't have one but maybe someday we'll have a church bus. That'd be cool. My dad drives a church bus. That's where my mind went. But I don't want to minimize those things. They're not things to look down upon. What we see David do is humble himself and the Lord lifts him up. What we see with Paul is that he humbles himself and puts him down low so that he can see his upward call for the Lord. And so I don't want to minimize the opportunity that we have collectively to be simply neighbors to be simply friends, to open up our table, to wash clothes and come and clean a house when someone moves. It's a great blessing for my soul when those things happen. And then I'm going to turn our attention to Ephesians 4. This will be the last verses that we read through today. Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 16. It says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So a big call in this Easter story that we're walking into. Next week will be Palm Sunday, and in two weeks we're already at Easter 2022. A, a big thing in the Easter story is this call to endure, 
We saw it in the life of Christ. We see it in Paul. And it's the constant call of the New Testament writers to say, keep going. Ephesians says, Christ is the head over us, and he holds us together. And so if you put that together with that Mount Hermon illustration that David gave us, God blesses the head, the mountaintop, Jesus, you could say, and from him pours down love and peace to everything below. We are showered in the mercies of God. It's that oil dripping over the head of Aaron and down the beard and onto his robes, filling the presence with a great aroma. And so it makes sense why David says, behold, pay attention. I'm not just saying beautiful poetry here. I want you to look at this, to look at what the Lord is doing, to see this mountain rise up above the landscape and see what the, the work that the Lord is doing for us and in us. It's us. He's taking resonance with us. And so I want us to always be humbled by your testimony. I just shared that with some of your kids up in prayer. We just talked about it's a big deal why we submit to the Lord and we gather and do things routinely because we're forgetful people. We are the Israelites. And that goes south very quickly when our eyes are off the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you this week, if there's things that you need help with, ask us. There is all of these people right here and more upstairs serving our kids. They desire to serve you. The Lord has brought us together to do these things. It's a picture of who God is and what he is doing here when we're empowered by the love of God. And so I don't want to minimize that. I don't want you to feel guilty for asking help. It's the reason that the Lord does this. It's opportunity for us to be a light to the world. It ends up that we are a light on a hill, is what the Lord says. We're that mountain that everyone can look at and say, look at what the Lord is doing. He's doing something new. And so Paul's constant call and the way that he writes to all these churches is a fight. He said it was, he was straining in this. It's, it's hard, but through it, we experience the joy of the Lord. And so we're going to experience this through mundane work weeks, long years of being employed. I think of John that's just walking out of a job and coming on staff with us. I'm excited, but he's put in some time that has been painful, and I'm excited for him. There's rest. So to come out of that and see what the Lord is doing, it grabs the attention when we work well, like the Ephesians passage just says, when we're working together, it pulls in a watching world. They start to ask questions. What is this? What is that smell? Not in a bad way. <laughs> I saw someone giggle and that. Yeah. But when this is happening, when we're helping people move, when we're taking a load off each other's back, when we're mowing their yard, when you show up to small group and it's quiet and you take the lead and you pray or you ask a question or you get honest before people. It's a good thing. When you make meals for a neighbor, we're, we're living out what David said, this is it. This is what the Lord is doing. He's calling a people to himself and letting them rest. And it affirms his words by saying, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for this text. I thank you for Psalm 133. I thank you for the testimony of the people of Israel. I thank you that we can't get too cocky about how awesome we are or the skills that we have because at the end of the day, Father, we are the Israelites. We are a people that need you and apart from you, we're crazy. God, I pray that we would be laid low, that we would know that every good thing that we have the reasons we can open up our homes, the reasons that there's peace in this community and how I see these people love so well. Father, it's a reason that a lot of us were drawn to this place was because the power of your work. It's not about us. The attention doesn't go to, it's not to go on to a mountain or to a beard. The attention is to fall on Christ. It's to see that this Easter story, the fact that he rose from the dead is a beautiful, miraculous, crazy thing that we believe as your church. Father, it's history. You've done this. And I pray that we would be able to marvel in it, to behold, as these two writers say. Father, that you would open up our eyes so that we can see what you're doing. And I thank you that we have this space. I thank you to be in this country, in Texas, that we can worship freely this morning. We're not doing this in secret. We're doing this so publicly. And so I pray even more in this space that more eyes could see it, that we would invite people into our, our mess and into our joy, that they could taste and see the joy of the Lord. I pray that it would lead the proclamation, that you would stir our hearts for the neighbor, that you would stir our hearts for mom and dad, that you would stir our hearts for our own children in our house, that you would stir our hearts for the people on our soccer teams are at work and that we would start to understand that we have so much power and grace through Christ. We love you. We praise you this morning. I pray that these next two songs would just allow us to lift hands, to worship freely, to acknowledge the people next to us and say, God, this is good. This is a blessing and we praise you for it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.